1: And welcome one and all. Disability Law Show is back here. Global News Radio. you want to reach out to Savan or the member of his team anytime. Here's how you do that. Toll free always one 855 821 website is disabilityrights.ca and another place for you to go anytime with your questions is mydisabilityquestions.com right there uh not only can you ask your questions type them in leave it there for the guys to uh to answer it will be received quickly there's also a database database of previously asked questions yours might have already been asked and answered in depth check it out first if not leave it there and savannah members team will uh will get back to you right away tons of emails to get through today pal but i know you got a couple things to uh to chat about first with the uh, the week that was how are you
2: i'm good john awesome. let's start off with a uh, with a question that was posted on mydisabilityquestions.com and this yep. one comes from um, a, a person um, that lives in brampton here and he writes my employer wants to terminate my employment and is paying me severance but i'd like to know if that will affect my ltd payment um, or or cpp application outcome So, excellent, excellent question. And this is something, John, that we see quite often, this interplay between employment law and disability law, LTD law. And the concern I have when people go to strictly an employment lawyer when they have an LTD issue as well in the background, or if they go to an LTD lawyer when they have an employment situation happening and the LTD lawyer doesn't know employment law, is that... Uh, these lawyers may not be attuned to the intersection of those two areas of law. And the result is that the individual may have a very unpleasant surprise at the end. And that unpleasant surprise may be that the person thinks they're going to get X amount of money in their pocket, and they're not, because there is a deduction here and there, there is a credit that's owed to this entity or that entity. Uh, So this is really important to understand. And one of the things that's unique about our law firm Uh, And and of course, you know, our listeners know, John, that we practice both in Ontario and in British Columbia, is that our lawyers on the ground in both provinces have expertise and knowledge in both employment law and Mm -hmm. LTD law. So it's very, very important, uh, you know, to understand. And so let's deal with this question here. So this individual here says that uh, he is potentially being terminated from his employment uh, and offered severance and is asking, how is that going to affect his LTD? Uh, So first of all, let's start from the proposition that it's illegal under the law to let someone go uh, while that person is on disability, while that person is disabled. What happens is that if a person is let go from their job while they're disabled, while they're on LTD, then the employer not only potentially is exposed to uh, having to pay severance to that employee, but also is potentially exposed to a human rights claim from that employee. Because again, under under our human rights code, you cannot let someone go from their job who is disabled. And uh, what that means here is that to the extent that the employee is entitled to any monetary amount from the employer... Be it by way of a severance or a human rights award, right. that will have implications with respect to the LTD that the person's getting. So let me give you an example, John. Let's say that you are on LTD. Your employer says to you, John, I'm going to let you go from your job. You say, wait a second, that's not right. I'm supposed to be getting $30,000 in severance here, okay? Let's assume yeah. I told you that, that you're owed that. But I'm also telling you that you're also entitled to X amount of dollars in human rights damages because you've been let go while you're on disability. LTD policies, looking at the other side now, often contain provisions that entitle the insurance companies to a credit for any severance you receive. Now, again, this is very policy-specific. One of the things that we say here, John, is that when somebody has a question about their disability uh, situation, their employment situation, we want to look at the contracts. We want to see the actual wording. That's what we do as lawyers. We look at contracts, we analyze contracts to the benefit of our clients, and then make whatever arguments to maximize the compensation that our client is entitled to. So when we look at uh, LTD policies, which are contracts of insurance between the insurance company and the insured, we look for a provision that stipulates that if a person receives severance or some kind of income other income then the insurance company is potentially entitled to that so in the question in, in, sorry in, in in the situation that we're dealing with with you john uh, yeah. the example i gave let's say that you get $30,000 a year in ltd okay that's what you're getting yeah. per year and at the same time i'm telling you that you're entitled to $30,000 in severance from your employer well guess what Uh If your policy of insurance contains that credit provision, that provision that says that the insurance company is entitled to any severance you get, the insurance company may turn around and say, Oh, you got that severance of thirty thousand, that's great. You're gonna have to pay that to us, or we're simply not gonna pay you for the next year because whatever you're getting is equivalent to whatever we're paying you for the year. So again, you know, you're no better off then. And the reason why, again, circling back to the human rights damages, why that's important is because, generally speaking, insurance companies cannot get a credit for human rights damages that you receive. So imagine if us, as your employment slash LTD lawyers, are able to negotiate with your employer uh, a settlement whereby uh, we attribute X amount of dollars to human rights damages rather than severance. That's something the insurance company cannot touch, which means more money in your pocket. So again, John, it's possible here that I've lost some of, you know, some of our listeners. Uh, it's, it's, it, this is an example I often give, but you know, until you're faced with it, until you are in a situation where you find that you know, had you known this information, you could have put more money in your pocket, it doesn't really register. So I think that the key takeaway here is that if you are a person who is on LTD, who has a disability, and if you've been let go from your job, you need to reach out to us. We can advise you, we can tell you exactly what your rights are, and the worst thing that you can do, I think, is take on both your employer and your LTD insurer without the requisite knowledge to understand how to maximize the money that's ending in your pocket. Because, I'm going to tell you, John, most people get stuck between the employer and the LTD insurer with nothing in their pocket. Our job is to make sure that does not happen.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if if someone goes at the employer or the insurance company just on their own, they're not going to get very far.
2: They're just not no. going to be taken
1: seriously. Come on.
2: They're not. Yeah. Hey, actually, let me let me tell you this. Not only are they not going to get very far, I have people contacting me almost daily who have tried to do this themselves. Not only do they not get far, they get the insurance company coming to them saying, oh, you owe us that money back. That, you remember that oh. severance you got two months ago, that 30000 40000 We want it back. So not only are people finding out that this money doesn't go into their pockets, they end up spending it because they have expenses. They're not working. And at the same time, they get a request from the insurance company for a repayment. You don't want to be in that situation. I mean, we can help people in that situation. There's ways to deal with it, but you don't want to get into that situation. That's the worst situation to be in where money that you're entitled to, that you feel that you know you deserve because you were paid that, you were let go from your job. Now the insurance company comes back and says, pay us this back. Just imagine the stress that that creates on families, especially now, by the way, with all of COVID going on, the pandemic Everybody you know in, in, in limbo with their jobs, you don't want to be in that situation. So reach out to us ahead of time, ahead of time, so we can answer your questions and tell you what you need to know to navigate that system.
1: Again, reaching out, guys, real simple, one email help at disabilityrights.ca. And you can uh, follow up and hear past shows and catch TV shows as well. A link to those at simply as well. Uh, the other matter, what else you got going on?
2: So there's another interesting uh, uh, thing here that I want to raise with you. I'm just looking sure. at it right now. So this is a lady that contacted me out of BC, and here's what she writes. I'm going to change a bit some of the uh, information here just so that she, can't, she cannot be identified, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting situation. <clears throat> she writes, hello, I've listened to your show and have found it very informative. Um, I, I live in BC and uh, have been a uh, professor for over two decades. I have been on LTD and then she gives us the name of the company, Uh, coming up to the two-year mark in January. Of course, the pressure to return to work is huge, and I understand that I would need to be unable to work in any occupation that I'm qualified for, whether there is a position or not. Not very comforting. I've also learned that at the two-year mark uh, of being on LTD, the insurance company is the decision maker uh, about my ability to return to work and not my doctor. Uh, and then she goes on and says a few other things. <clears throat> so I wanna stop right there because this is something that I, I sort of honed in on and I'm I'm hopef- hopefully some of our listeners, John, have also, you know, sort of zoomed in on. She wrote, My insurance company is the decision maker about my ability to return to any other occupation and not my doctor. I wanna dispel this myth. The insurance company, it's correct that they have the ability to say, we believe you can do some other occupation that you're suited for at the two-year mark, and therefore you don't qualify for LTD beyond the two-year mark. And so therefore we're going you know, to stop paying you. So they, they can make that decision. But I want to make this clear. They do not have ultimate authority to actually uh, say that and, and say that as a fact, meaning that they can cut off your payment, but if, they're, if realistically speaking, uh, practically speaking, you are unable to do any other occupation for which you're suited for, and your doctors confirm that you cannot do any other occupation that you're suited for at that two-year mark, I don't care what the adjuster says. I don't care what the insurance company says. They can cut you off, but they will be doing this, in my view, illegally, which means that that gives rise to your ability to make a claim against them for the benefits you're owed. So this is really, really important to understand, okay? I want to stress this again. Many people are cut off around that two-year mark of being on LTD, and the reason you're cut off or you're told that you're cut off or you're pressured to try and go back to work to some other job is because the insurance company, again, does not want uh, you know, to pay you beyond that two-year mark. And they understand that if they can pressure you to go back to work or if they can tell you, we think you can do some other job for which you have some qualification for or education for experience in, they believe that they can get you off their payroll, that they can stop paying you, that they can just stop the claim right there. They cannot do that. They're not allowed to do that if that's not in fact the case. If you can go back to work, that's great. Then they're right. If you can do some other occupation for which you're suited for and you can earn 60, 65% of your pre-disability income, fine. Go ahead and do that. But if you cannot, and many people who contact me, John, weekly tell me, no, I cannot. The insurance companies arbitrarily saying that I'm able to go back to some other job, and I can't. My doctors agree that I can't. You know what my answer is to them? My answer is to them that the insurance company is then wrong in stopping their benefits, and we can do something about it. This is not an if. This is a for sure. You can do something about it. You can force the insurance company to keep you, uh, to keep paying you, or, or, If they refuse, we start that legal claim, okay, we we put their feet to the fire, and we get a resolution for you for the entirety of the claim, okay? But we need to get involved to be able to do that, because you as an individual who doesn't deal in this area of law, you will not know what to do, you will not understand. Many people fall into the trap, John, of appealing those decisions. Again, we'll get into this after the break, appeals are absolutely useless. You need to call us if you're in this situation.
1: And we'll get to an email right after the break. In the meantime, though, reaching out to uh, talk to Savannah or a member of his team—you want more of a, uh, a lengthy private conversation? That's okay. That's easy. It's toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Even if you're calling on behalf of a friend or a family member, use the same number. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. That's exactly where we're going. After the break, Disability Law Show on Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: And welcome back, Disability uh, disability Law Show. Thanks for hanging in there. We're going to get to a ton of emails now. You want to send one along during the show? We'll uh, get to as many as we can, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number to reach Savan and his uh, very capable team, 1-855-821-5900. Keep that with you, toll free. And always the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. That's another place for you to go and ask your questions and get them answered. Okay, Laura, you're up first. Says, Hey, Savan, my husband was bringing groceries for his elderly parents earlier this week. Since they don't leave the apartment because of COVID, Uh, They live just north of Toronto. Their building is not well maintained and there have been issues with winter maintenance for a few years now. It was very icy earlier this week, as you know, and he slipped and fell just outside the doors of their building because of all the ice. He broke his right ankle and knee and had to be transported to hospital by ambulance. He had surgery on his knee and is, uh, is still in the hospital. I'm very concerned now because he's the primary income for our family and his parents rely on him as well. He's a general laborer and uh, likely won't be able to go back to work for a while. Very angry at the people who were supposed to keep the area around his parents' building taken care of, which obviously they didn't. What should we do now? A neighbor who saw him fall took photos of that area showing all the ice.
2: Okay. So, Laura, first of all, very sorry for what happened to your husband. And, you know, John, we are now coming onto the uh, fall-winter season. I can tell you that I know exactly what Laura's talking about. I almost slipped and fell myself outside my my, my kid's school earlier this week. Um, And, uh, you know, as we enter the season, it's important to understand, again, what your rights are if you are injured as a result of a failure to maintain an area, failure to Uh, you know, put signs up if you're inside a store and there's liquid on the floor, for example, or if you are, you know, uh, in a plaza or on a sidewalk and, and you slip on ice, you know, if the area is not maintained, if there's no salt, there's no sand, it's not taken care of, under the law, if you get injured, there's someone you know got injured, you're entitled to compensation. So whenever we're dealing with an injury type of a situation, like a slip and fall, we are talking about two major issues that we have to look at. Number one is liability. Liability basically means fault. Whose fault was it? Look, if somebody calls me and says, John, that you know they they were walking and they tripped on their own two feet, right? Nobody else was at fault. It was just them. They just lost their balance and and slipped. Uh, and that that happened actually recently to my mother-in-law, unfortunately. And and you break your ankle, I can't help you with that. Unfortunately, right. it's really unfortunate. It's really bad. It's not good. But I, I can't. There's no legal claim against anyone, and I would not tell you to start a legal claim against anyone. Uh, but but if if the same thing happened as a result of somebody not maintaining an area outside an apartment building, and it's icy and there is heavy traffic there by the residents by the visitors, and it's a known area where there is traffic, and they just have not taken care of the area properly, and we have even photos, which is fantastic for 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 Laura's husband here for the case and it shows that whoever was supposed to take care of the property did not, well then, in my view, that person is negligent, or that company is negligent. Now, it doesn't have to be 100%, right? I mean, fault can be attributed. Perhaps the person was not looking where they were going, so they're 25% responsible. It doesn't matter. The point is this. The first point of analysis in a case like this, Laura, is whether or not... Whoever was supposed to take care of the property, and by the way, that could be a winter maintenance contractor, it could be the owners of the property, it could be another third party. We don't know at this point, which I'll get to this in a point, you know, in in a minute why that's relevant. Right. But it's important to understand we have to analyze who is at fault. So let's assume for a second, Laura, that the building is at fault, or whoever uh, was uh, contracted to maintain the area is at fault. The next question is the type of injury that you know your husband suffered. And, and, you know, the fact, the fact that he broke his right ankle and his knee and had to be transported by, by ambulance, you know, to the hospital, had surgery. I mean, that's a significant claim in and of itself. And whenever we're looking at an injury claim, we're looking at several components of compensation. We're looking at what's called general damages, which is pain and suffering. Okay. Yep. How much is that worth? And I'll get to this in a moment here with a broken ankle and a knee. Uh, and again, when I say how much it's worth, I'm talking about in the context of what cases out there have been assessed, what judges have historically said you you should be able to be awarded for this kind of an injury if somebody else is at fault. But there are other components of compensation. What about the income loss, right? He's a general laborer. He's not going to be able to work for a while. What has he lost by way of income? What is he going to lose in the future by way of income? Maybe he can't go back to his pre injury uh, um, uh, type of work or maybe he can only work half the amount of hours for the next two years right we have to look at all of this in context because the purpose of a legal claim in this context is to put the person in the same position he ought to have been or would have been but for the injury now we can't, through the legal process, undo the fractures, undo the injuries, but we can try and compensate him or make sure that whoever is responsible, their insurance companies at least, are going to compensate him. So a case like this where you're dealing with with a fractured ankle, a, a fractured knee with surgery, to me, to me, and this is based on years of, of doing this kind of work, I can tell you that the pain and suffering component, irrespective of who's at fault, okay, assuming that there is fault on whoever fail to maintain the property, you're looking at easily $60,000, $80,000 just for pain wow. and suffering, maybe even more. Now, there's other things we have to look at. What if this person needs physiotherapy and other treatments in the years to come? I can tell you that a case like this, again, depending on the severity of the injury going forward and the impact on the person's income, this case like this could easily, easily be worth, you know, in the six figures and it could even be in the mid-six figures, four or $500,000, depending, again, on the impact of these injuries on this person's uh, ability or inability to work in the future. So you see, John, it's really important to make sure you get the right legal advice initially. Now, I want to uh, back up for one second and, and say this. Uh, most of our listeners, John, know that I used to work as a defense lawyer, working for insurance companies yep. early in my career. So I defended claims exactly like this. And one of the things that I remember really, really well is going up against certain lawyers who are representing injured individuals. And they were not doing what they're supposed to do. They were not building the file up, meaning they were not getting the proper experts retained. They were not getting the proper medical documentation. They did not do the job they ought to have done. And I remember I remember settling cases for, you know. Half, if not a third, or even less of the value of the actual claim, which was a great result for my clients, the insurance companies back then, but was a terrible result for the injured individual. Of course, now that I only work for injured individuals and disabled individuals, that would never happen. Okay. My team operates in a completely different way, in a completely different, on a completely different level. So we're very careful, you know, we're making sure that we properly assess the claim. Insurance companies know us, they understand us, but I can tell you, this industry is quite small, despite the fact that there's so many lawyers out there and so many insurance companies out there. Sure. Insurance companies know which lawyers which law firms are the good ones, which one uh, you know which lawyers and law firms they have to be uh, careful with and make sure that you know if there's a settlement that's a proper settlement as opposed to a bad settlement uh, so so Laura, my suggestion is here there's a lot of stuff that we have to go through. I have to understand a bit more about what happened we 're going to have to figure out who was exactly responsible for this building. Did they contract out to a third party to do maintenance? Did that party contract with someone else? We have to get the proper insurance companies involved here. Because you know, John, when we're dealing with an injury case, ultimately we're going to get to a, a to a certain day where there is discussions of resolution, of settlement potentially. Yep. And we want to make sure that all the parties, all the insurance companies that need to be in the room are in the room so we can get a proper and adequate and reasonable settlement for our client. So, you know, Laura, I suggest that after the show, we get in touch with each other. I'll speak with you and your husband, explain everything. Uh, Explain also what OHIP's right is here, right? When you have injuries in Ontario, for example, uh, and they're not car accident injuries, they're slip and falls, for example. OHIP, which is the government here that's paying for the medical services, they're entitled to have their interests protected. You know, again, you want to make sure that you have somebody who knows all these things. These are all details, but they're important details. And 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 frankly, John, people who are injured and in their families, they wanna focus on getting better. They wanna focus on moving on. So the last thing you want is for them not to have the proper legal representation, uh and, and the proper lawyers and the and, and the legal team that can deal with these insurance companies so that they can have, you know, peace of mind. So again, I tell people give me a shout, call me, it'll cost nothing to go over all these issues to discuss. We don't pressure anyone to do anything. If you want to do something, not want to do something, you want to pursue compensation, it's completely up to you. As long as you understand what your rights are, as long as you understand the legal picture here, and and what's owed to you, or potentially owed to you, then we've done our job.
1: You know, you mentioned the whole thing with the insurance company knowing uh, who the who the big fish are, the rock stars in the industry. And I know, obviously, you guys are one of them. You've you've been doing some great work. You've been around long enough. You're big enough. Is it not true that when they when they get a legal claim, they'll, they'll get this file and they'll get a letter from the insurance company, a few pages long? one of the first things they'll do is go right to the back page see who's on the case see what law, what law office is is logos on the bottom of that and that could result in them going guys we're going to have to uh we're going to have to end up pointing up a few more shekels in this case just based on the on the uh the skill set of the law firm that's
2: uh logoed on the bottom of that letter no sure john uh, shekels drachmas, uh, euros <laughs> <laughs> whatever currency word? you want to deal with absolutely sure Uh, But you're absolutely right. You're you're completely right. Insurance companies are sophisticated entities. And remember, they they care about one thing and one thing only, profit. And if you have a lawyer on the other side that's considered to be a heavy hitter, well, then you know that you're going to have to pay more at the end of the day because if you don't, uh, you're going to spend that much more in legal fees fighting that lawyer and that team. Conversely, they know who the, you know, sort of weaker lawyers are, or the lawyers that are sort of, uh, you know, they they like to, to just, you know, get a thousand cases in and just churn them out like in a factory. As long as they make a thousand bucks a pop, then they don't care. Look, insurance companies understand who the lawyers and the law firms are in this industry. It's no different than employment law. You know, we have a certain reputation in the employment bar. Employers know us, companies know us, same thing with insurance. And this is key. We've worked extremely hard for that, for this reputation because the reality is that the reputation that we have now built works for you. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, eons ago, I was given the best advice that I, I think a student can, can ever be given, which is this. Initially, you work for your A's. Once, once you get those A's, and the teachers know that you are an A student, and they talk amongst themselves, guess what? Those A's start working for you, because... As you get new teachers, as you go through different classes through the years, again, because the teachers talk, they know, oh, John is an A student. So think about this. When the new teacher, who knows that John is an A student, gets an essay from John, there is this predisposition to give John A on that essay because John isn't a student. Now, I'm not saying automatically that's what happens, but again, you know, we we operate as human beings on on stereotypes, conceptions for right or for wrong. That's what we do. Right. You know, we know there are certain restaurants that have a good reputation, so we know what to expect. You know, what I mean, so so it's the same thing with lawyers. Insurance companies have that perception of certain lawyers and certain law firms, and what that means is that because of the reputation that we have developed, we are able to then leverage that for the benefit of our clients to get better settlement. It's just, you know, the reality is, and listen, I, I, can I prove that to you? I can't prove that. It. It's anecdotal, right? I can right, tell you yeah. just based on, on, you know, the work that we have done, the work that our lawyers have done, I can tell you that we have a good relationship with many uh, defense lawyers, many adjusters, many insurance companies, and it's just the case that insurance companies, this is a fact, okay? Insurance companies assess claims not only on their facts, but also in terms of who their opponents are. It all factors in, goes into the pot, and that's what produces a settlement.
1: Let's take a short break, man, get to another another email. Mila, stand by. Just got yours. It is coming up here in just a minute. Stick with us. In the meantime, toll free. Reach out, 1-855-821-5900. Website, disabilityrights.ca, and the email address we use, help at disabilityrights.ca. As well, we'll continue Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. Savan taking the reins this morning. You want to reach out after we're done. Really uh, really simple, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we use every week. If you want to go to disabilityrights.ca, by the way, you'll catch links to past radio shows and our television show as well. So you want to check out that uh, 30-minute version of what we do here. On the radio and have been doing so for years. Another place, free questions and answers about LTD. That's simple to locate, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can use that as well. Going to move on to Mila. As promised, Mila says, I've uh, suffered from depression for a long time. I was off work because of a back injury, and I got paid STD. While I was off work, I started to have really bad anxiety. I started to isolate myself from friends and family, but I still tried to return uh, to work when my back was better. It's a bit of a disaster, though. I only lasted two weeks and couldn't bring myself to speak to my clients or colleagues. I applied for LTD benefits, but they denied my claim. My adjuster told me it was because my anxiety was not, quote-unquote, work-related. I definitely had anxiety at work, but uh, but I had it before. Still have it now. I virtually never even leave the house. Are they
2: allowed to do this? Mila, no, they're not. That doesn't stop them from obviously, oftentimes uh, conflating, mixing up, um, you know, anxiety, depression, psychological issues, or any kinds of issues, disabling issues uh, between work and, and non-work uh, causes. And the reason why you know insurance companies often say, "Oh, this is work-related," is because uh, there are usually exclusions under an LTD policy that says that if it's a work issue. Um, then, you know, it, this is not an LTD issue, right? Um, remember, to get LTD, you have to show that you cannot do your own occupation. It doesn't say that you cannot work in your in the office where you're working now. It doesn't say you cannot work with your own boss. Uh, one of my colleagues' partners, James Fireman, uh, likes to say that LTD insurance is not... Uh, a whole boss insurance. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's true. It's true. Yeah, it, it's not, you know, LTD is not for that. And if, frankly, if your disability is completely rooted in, uh, your work environment, meaning that, you know, if you could do your, your, your occupation, but in a different environment, in a different office with a different boss, and, and the issue is purely, you know, your boss, for example, your colleagues, well, then no, LTD is not responsible for that. But this is not what's happening here with Mila, John. She talks about the fact that she suffered from depression for a very long time, you know, and there's is other issues here. There was a back injury, et cetera. I think that what's happening here is, again, what I see in most instances, in many cases, where an insurance company says, you know, we think that this is all work-related, therefore you should either deal with it by way of an employment matter, like a constructive dismissal, uh, which our employment lawyers deal with routinely, or, or that you can deal with this, uh, through WSIB or WCB if you're in, B- if, if you're in British Columbia. Right. Uh, and, and, and people then, of course, you know, they don't know what to do. They simply assume that, assume that the insurance company is, is correct. Uh, and, and the reality is this if your disability is not specific to your work environment, it may have arisen there, by the way, you may have, become you know become depressed as a result of, of of conflicts at work and a very toxic work environment, but now it doesn't matter if you're there or not you, you, they could plunk you in a different environment in a different building with a different company you're still unable to work because now that depression or that illness has become generalized it's beyond just that initial workplace you qualify you should qualify for disability STD or LtD whatever it is but but I'll tell you this john let's just you know back up for a second because our firm because the focus of our areas of practice is employment law, our employment law, and disability law, either way we can help you. If you are dealing with a toxic work environment uh, and it's not an LTD issue, well, then we, we can help you with your employment matter, with a toxic work environment. If, however, we identify that it's not that, maybe it's, that's the genesis of the situation, of, of, of the issue why you're disabled, but it's not necessarily the case now. In other words, your disability is now generalized. You cannot work anywhere because of your depression well then it's an LTD issue and we can go after the insurance company either way we can help you either way you're not alone either way you're owed money your owed compensation unless you can of course go back to work and in fact work so so Mila from what you're describing here having this depression that was perhaps exacerbated by the work environment but you've had it before I think that you have a case here against the insurance company and I think that we can force them to pay you. It's really, to me, that simple. I'd want more information. I want to understand a bit more about your condition. Maybe look at some medical documents, see what your doctors are saying. But John, to me, it seems like Mila is entitled to compensation from the insurance company and the insurance company is doing the classic thing here, which is you know, uh, point the finger at, at the employer or point the finger elsewhere, which again, it's something that we see happen quite often. If the insurance company can force you to go elsewhere, then they've achieved what they wanted to achieve, which is to not pay you what you're yeah. owed.
1: Melee, you know the email address. Reach out now by the phone. Do it uh, as soon as you can. Toll free, one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 Moving out to uh, Dana. Dana says, guys, I've had double vision for a long time and had surgery that made it worse and resulted in constant eye pain. I went back to work for a year, but it just made it worse. I applied for LTD, and they paid me for a while, but then they cut me off when their doctor said that there was no objective medical evidence right there of my disability. I I don't understand. I had surgery. Isn't that objective?
2: Yes, it is objective. And you know this whole idea of objectivity, I mean, what a bu- what a bunch of bull. I mean, I mean just <laughs> think about that for a second. I mean, is there objective evidence that you have a headache, John? Is there is there objective evidence that you have depression, you know, that you, you have you have I have a migraine, I have a, a chronic pain. Maybe there's an objective genesis to it. Maybe there is, you know, a, a bone spur in my back or or I don't know, God forbid some kind of a, of a brain cancer or something, you know. Look, insurance companies cannot invent conditions that are not in their policies and if you look at your ltd policy if you're facing a situation where the insurance company says you don't qualify because there's nothing objective to back this up ask your adjuster to show you where in the policy it says first of all that there must be objective evidence that's number one number two i want them to define what objective is what is objective What is the difference between objective and subjective? You know, it's a philosophical discussion. But unless they've defined it in their contract, they can't simply read something into the word objective. They can't. Because you can interpret objective in many different ways, especially in the medical context. I've had this discussion with many doctors, psychiatrists, and psychologists. You know, you can't simply say, it's not objective, I can't see a broken bone on an x-ray, so therefore I'm not paying you. No. No. And, And frankly, even when it's in the contract where it says... It has to be based on objective medical findings and they've defined objective okay well then let's look let's ask your doctors and see what are the objective measures here right you know have they seen something in the x-rays have they done some kind of testing that is considered to be objective again don't give up don't give up on your rights that's my point to you if there's any ambiguity in what the insurance company is saying that ambiguity will be interpreted against them by any judge that looks at this okay so uh, do not give up do not walk away Please, I'd love to speak with you, Dana. Uh, this must be very, very difficult for you. Let's just have a chat. I want to understand a bit more. Maybe look at the policy, look at the medical documents, and I will tell you exactly what your rights are at the end of the day and if the insurance company is right, which I suspect they are not right in this case. We'll
1: take a uh, short break. What do you say we do that? Indeed, 1 uh, 821. 5900 website disabilityrights.ca email address help at disabilityrights.ca as well we'll get to uh, sandy's email as we move on here in the uh, last few minutes of the show disability law show on global news radio
0: you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey,
1: welcome back Disability Law Show. We're here to answer more of your questions uh, this way through another email. Sandy uh, writes in and says, Hi, Savannah. Really frustrated here. I've worked for more than 20 years in construction and have a badly slipped vertebrae in my back. My doctors had told me the treatment is spinal fusion surgery, but that is only 50-50. That'll make it better my LTD paid me for two years but then cut me off because the insurance company says they did some transferable skills test and I can do some other job. I haven't finished high school and I can't sit for more than 45 minutes without excruciating pain. I appealed twice and my doctors both said I can't do any job. I know that they're wrong and I feel like they know that they're wrong too but just don't care. It can't be this hard can it?
2: It is, unfortunately, Sandy, when you deal with it yourself. And, you know, you've mentioned that you appealed twice, and your doctors have said that you cannot do any job. Look, John, I see this all the time. It's it's so depressing for me, you know, to see people who are going up against a system that is literally rigged against them and it's true these appeals are rigged against you as a as an individual and they're rigged against you because remember who's making the decisions here there's no third party there's no judge there's no arbitrator you are appealing to the exact same people who cut you off in the first place now Sandy, you're talking about spinal fusion surgery i mean this is i'm not a doctor but i've had clients that had that and even without knowing what that is, it just sounds really, really harsh and, and bad. And, and, you know, the fact that your LTD insurer cuts you off at that two year mark, again, that's something that we see quite often, not necessarily in your context. I think it's egregious in your context. In fact, I think in your context, uh, given everything, there may be a claim here, not just for whatever you're owed from the insurance company, but for extra contractual damages, for punitive damages. I would like to see what your doctors have actually written here. It's interesting to me that the insurance company decided to go by way of a transferable skills test. So what that means is that, just for our listeners, is they've done testing on you uh, to see if you have some other transferable skills where you can do another occupation, something else instead of doing whatever you've been doing for over 20 years here in construction. Now, I don't know exactly what you do in construction, but I have friends who work in construction. Sheet metal workers, you know, bricklayers, all that kind of stuff. That is extremely hard work. Extremely hard work. Right. And, and you know, given what you've had done to you by way of surgery like that, and the fact that you have difficulty now sitting and, and probably standing, it's just, to me, John, this is a case that cries for a claim against the insurer. and And I'll tell you, uh, Sandy, I would not be surprised if we started a claim tomorrow, you know, that as soon as the insurance company gets a hold of this and gets a defense lawyer on this and the defense lawyer looks at the facts of this case, of your case, I would be, I would not be surprised at all if defense lawyer picks up the phone to me and says, Sivan, how can we resolve this? We made a mistake. Can we put Sandy back on, uh, uh, you know, LTD? Because it's happened, it's ha- and it's happening time and time again. We get involved, and insurance companies miraculously, you know, find God and say they've made a mistake. Huh. You know, and, and by the way, it happens in cases where people have appealed multiple times and were denied multiple times, and then we get involved, and within weeks, the insurance company reverses course because they understand what they're doing, because they know it's wrong. Sometimes when we get involved. Remember, something happens actually, not not sometimes actually, almost every time, when we get involved, when any lawyer really gets involved and start a legal claim, what happens in the insurance company, on the insurance company side, is really important. The the file generally gets transferred to uh, a litigation adjuster, an adjuster whose job it is to deal with this new legal claim. It's not the original adjuster who denied your claim, it's a new adjuster, usually somebody who has more expertise in this area, and they look at it with a fresh pair of eyes. And this is not an appeal. I want to make that clear. It's not. They understand that if we can't come to some kind of a reasonable solution, resolution, they're going to end up at some point before a judge having to explain themselves. They know that it can be a very long process. They know they're going to have to pay their lawyers a lot of money. They don't want to do this. Insurance companies are not in the business of paying their lawyers unless they absolutely have to. But they're betting on most people out there, including Sandy, not seeking that legal advice that... Sandy and many other individuals need and the reality is John people don't get that advice how do I know that not only anecdotally but people contact me you know since we started the show years and years ago I've been I don't know that there's been one week where I have not been contacted by someone around the country around Canada anywhere in Canada different the territories whatever at least one person a week who calls me up or emails me or contacts me and says you know had I known about this I would have come to you back then But this happened to me 5 years ago, 10 years ago, and I'm still disabled. And and it breaks my heart because these people are owed this money, but they're out of time. Remember, you have 2 years from when you're first denied LTD to pursue your entitlements against the insurance company legally. And what happens is that many people end up going through this appeal route 1 time, 2 times, 3 times, you know, it's like a merry-go-round. And sometimes, by the time they get off the merry-go-round, they find that they are beyond that 2-year mark. Of being able to start a legal claim and at that point you can't do anything i can't do anything if i start a legal claim at that point against the insurance company the insurance company's lawyer will bring a motion and application before uh, a judge and say they're out of time right and the judge will most likely agree you know so i I can't help you with that so you have to as soon as you are cut off as soon as you are told that your benefits will be cut off you need to reach out to, to me and my team because we'll talk to you we'll talk to you for free we'll give you this information go to our website go to mydisabilityquestions.com and post your question if you don't want to talk to me in person or or by phone but get this information please get this information and if it's not if this is not something that is applicable to you as as the listeners right now you may know someone who needs this information just relay them this information you know john i say this on almost every show and it's funny because sometimes you know people say why are you say this but I say because I say this because it's me. And here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. uh, people will say you're a lawyer. It's to your benefit to tell people to hire you, to come to you, because that's how you make money. Absolutely correct. But here's the caveat. I don't care if you come to me or my team. Go to another lawyer that has expertise in this area. But get legal advice. Get proper legal Do not trust what your insurance company is telling you. No. Please. If you do, you are in for a whole world of pain. I simply know my team, I know myself, you know, we've built something here. We have the expertise, the resources to help you. We've helped a ton of people out there. Go on the on Google, look at our reviews, you will see what people say about us, okay? But please get the information you need, if not from us and from some other trusted source.
1: Well done, guys. Thank you for all your uh, correspondence through email. you want to make that phone call now. Just have a chat. I mean, don't don't do it not because you're scared to do it. Just do it and get the information. Talk to Savannah or James or, or tomorrow another member of the team. It's really simple, as I've been giving it out all uh, all day long. Tomorrow, uh, pardon me, toll-free one eight five five eight. Two one That's the number, that email address we use. Every show, help at disabilityrights.ca. The website is disabilityrights.ca. Links there to our TV show as well. If you haven't seen one, check it out. Been doing that for a long time as well. And finally, as uh, Savannah mentioned several times, mydisabilityquestions.com. We get a ton of questions. We Uh, talk about them on air. If not, leave it there, and the guys will have more of a uh, private correspondence with you, mydisabilityquestions.com. It is also a searchable database of previously asked questions, so that may come in handy as well. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio.